0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool. Hey, it's uh, it's always a huge honour to uh, speak on, on Mother's Day. Of course, uh, it's one of the. It's actually one of my favorite Sundays to speak, actually, um, because I, I just feel so appreciative, and so it's a real honor to be able to, uh, to share something and pray. And I also feel a little terrified. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, the way it goes. But it's uh, it's good to be here. You know, I think. Um, Yeah, we all wish we could illustrate or or orchestrate an an idyllic journey for for our moms that's kind of what like mother's day is about in terms of you know i don't know if you guys remember this but as, as kids trying to sort of prepare that sort of perfect mother's day experience for your mom i mean you're wanting to have the the toast and the stuff in bed and the orange juice and the coffee and you don't know how to do any of it and you're burning the toast, and your coffee's weak, and your dad is laughing at you. And I don't know what your, your journey's like, but you've got this this vision of something perfect in your head, and it never quite turns out that way. And, and I think life is just like that. I think in terms of the journey that uh, that our moms uh, and the women in our church uh, go through, uh, we wish very much that we could make it a sweet and wonderful and perfect. Uh, perfect safety, perfect financial security, perfect relationships, perfect rest, perfect family, career, all of these things. Perfect fruitfulness and meaning in life. It's something that when Mother's Day comes around, it's what we're really uh, praying for you and, and thinking about. But the reality is that we know that life isn't quite like that. Life is like the burnt toast and the weak coffee, and, and it, it just doesn't quite translate. The vision that we have for it doesn't quite happen uh the way we want to see uh the reality is is the walking through the world um, for for all of us is not about having those perfect circumstances around us but it's how we walk through the imperfect journey uh in the presence of god and how we walk through it with him how we live uh, for his glory in the midst of it and the story of the life of hannah in the scriptures in first samuel 1 and 2 is just this incredible story of uh, a beautiful beautiful woman it's she it's, it's actually amazing she's one of the the people in the scriptures who is shown to have the, the, the most perfect character. Uh, almost all of our heroes in the scriptures, we see these major fatal flaws, and, and the, scriptures give, but the scriptures give to Hannah this sort of heroic character, and, and you just can't see anything wrong with her. So we, we look at her life, and we look at the challenge of it. We look at some of the pain that she's struggled with. We're going to go through some of that in, in just a few moments. Um, and what we see is how she walked through it how she endured it, how God um, made something really beautiful out of her life in the midst of of some challenge and some struggle. And so uh, beautiful Hannah is going to be uh, a model for us, somebody that we can look at and somebody that we can learn from and somebody that I hope will uh, bring encouragement uh, to our moms and to the women in our church, will bring um, some uh, challenge maybe, Uh, will bring some hope, and we will bring uh, just, just just some beauty to your journey. We'll let the story of Hannah really speak this morning. Uh, so we're gonna start in first, rather than just read the whole text, it's quite a long story, those two chapters, we're just gonna take little selections and just walk through and touch it. First um, Samuel uh, 1, verses one and two. There was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penaniah Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Um, The the, the idea, first of all, of, of a man having two wives, that's completely foreign to us. Uh, in our culture. One of the things I just want to always say whenever we delve into some of these Old Testament stories is that uh, imagine you're getting on a boat and you're going across uh, to Africa or into South America and you're trekking into the jungle and you discover a culture that is very distant from you, both in space and in time. And so when you're looking at the scriptures and looking at... Uh, a story like this and seeing what the heck, what what is this man doing with two wives and, and how does that work? That doesn't fit with my cultural mindset and all of that. We wanna go back and just look at it and sort of approach this new and strange culture that we're entering into uh, with without a lot of judgment and just sort of take it Take the story, take the treasure from it. We don't want to import everything from the story into our into our present and say, "I had a conversation with a woman on a beach uh, in Israel when I was like 21 years old, and she was making a case for polygamy out of this story." And I'm like, "This is not this is not right, right?" So it's not what we're doing when we take these stories, um, but we, we we see treasure in them and we see beauty in them, and we want to just walk through that. So there's this man. Uh, Elkanah, and he has these two wives, uh, Pen and I had children, but Hannah had none. And that phrase, Pen and I had children, but Hannah had none, says and speaks just volumes. Uh, we understand some of it in our culture. We understand some of the, the pain and the grief of that. Um, from our vantage point, um, but we would never say, you know, a woman uh, doesn't have value because she hasn't born children. We wouldn't say a woman doesn't have identity. We wouldn't say a woman doesn't have significance. We look back uh, through uh, through the eyes of good theology, through the eyes of the cross, and we, we would say there's a, there's a tremendous uh, value on woman, women, and God has an incredible purpose for them, and it's not all tied to childbearing. So with that disclaimer, though, we look back at Hannah's culture and say for her, that phrase um, just just brought enormous pain uh, in that time and in that space um, for a woman to uh, not have children and to be married uh, would be it would be for her a loss of identity. It would be a loss of of significance uh, for her. It would be a loss of financial security for her future. Uh, a woman was cared for by her children into the future. We didn't have social security networks or or uh, RSPs or any of that kind of uh, supports around families. Uh, she was really looking at a future that was for her going to be filled with poverty and was going to be kind of bleak. There was all of that pain there, and then add to it the cultural expectations of the time. In Psalm 127, uh, there's just tremendous hope in Hebrew culture around the having of children. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Happy is the one whose quiver is full of them. But what about the one who's not got a lot? In verse 11, Hannah refers to her own struggle as an affliction, as an affliction. And that's a really strong word, word. It's like having boils an affliction. Uh, When Leah, uh, an earlier mom in the Bible story, becomes pregnant, she says, the Lord has finally delivered me from my affliction. And Rachel, uh, in the book of Genesis, is struggling and she says, give me children or I will die. And so we see this incredible pain in Hannah over uh, not being able to have kids, and we know that that's a struggle for uh, women in our culture, though I I don't think it's the same sort of struggle culturally for us in our time. Uh, We know that still it's something that is full of pain, that there's a a journey of parenting that is longed for, that is hoped for, and and if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't work, or if a child is lost, there's there's incredible grief uh, that comes with that journey. In our own church family, in our own community, We've had had two beautiful moms who've lost adult children uh, due to issues related to mental illness since January in our own church family, uh, one one just this week. Um, So there's there's incredible uh, loss that can be associated with moms. Moms who are great moms don't always have perfect journeys. Moms who are great moms uh, often endure uh, great, great struggles. Great, great struggles. And for Hannah, not only was it just the struggle of not having children, uh, not being able to, to bring them into the world and wrestling with all of the pain of that and all of the wondering uh, of that, uh, for her, it says this. It says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival Penaniah kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So imagine having another woman in the household who is having children and has had a number of children already and is and is literally provoked, provoking her like, na, 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 boo boo I got kids and you don't. Like that, and, and actually that language uh, for provoke is, is incredibly strong language. It's the same language in the scripture, the same word. It's the word rom in Hebrew, which is an onomatopoeia to, uh, for the Hebrew voice to, to make the sound of thunder. And so elsewhere in 2 Samuel and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we hear uh, verses there. It is like the voice of the Lord thundered from his mighty throne. The voice of the Lord, Ram, from his mighty throne. Or in uh, First Chronicles, we have uh, the seas roared. The, the seas, Ram. So imagine uh, Hannah. This, this sweet person who is going through uh, all of this pain and enduring the struggle of, of not having children and all of the complexity that goes with all of that. And she has this woman who is in the house who is literally, every time her husband goes away, thundering at her mockery. A thundering mockery. I don't think that's something that we experience in our culture. I don't think that's something that we really see. Uh, We we live in a little bit more of a gentler age, but but there is still a spirit of comparison in the world that I know uh, the women in our community struggle with. Um, you, You don't have to go far. You might go just with curiosity into your social media feed. And, and look to see what the news is going on in the lives of your friends. But very, very soon, there are ads popping up and, and, and links that are pointing you to stories that are better than yours, that are brighter than yours, that are more glorious than yours, that are more perfect than yours. And very, very soon, you have the voice of the enemy uh, speaking in your ear, thundering at you. You aren't as much. You aren't as good. You don't have it, and I do. And envy, and greed, and jealousy, and and just this pain of feeling less is something that uh, I think the enemy just hammers and hammers at the women in our culture uh, so often as so often I did my, my prayer is just that you guys will will see yourselves through God's eyes and not God's eyes and not through the lens of social media that we we will all see that men as well that we will see ourselves the way God sees us and and know uh, that you're seen that you're loved that you're cared for uh, and that you're noticed and that you're not mocked so Hannah is provoked and says this went on year after year. When her husband would go off to the temple, um, uh, her rival would mock her and said she, it came to the place where she wept and, and would not eat. That would not eat is a signal in, in the Old Testament uh, scriptures for, for depression. We see that in, in the life of David as well and elsewhere. Uh, she, she, she simply wept and would not eat and we know that that's a struggle uh, for for many women who who suffer uh, in our culture in our time so imagine that for the life of Hannah imagine that journey for her not only uh, being uh, not able to have children but wrestling with uh, this mocking voice that's constantly telling her she's not enough great moms sometimes endure great trials taunts. We learn something from what we don't see in the text. Hannah had every right, every freedom, really, to to fight, every freedom uh, to be angry, every freedom to sabotage Penaniah's children, every freedom to be bitter, every freedom to to hurt, every freedom to uh, see and seek justice um, from her tormentor. And we would want to see some justice for that kind of bullying in our culture. We would want to see somebody move with strength we would want to see somebody make it stop. Um, we see some little things in the life of her husband that he's trying to mitigate this situation in some ways by giving extra blessings to Hannah, but still the behavior goes on. Maybe Hannah hasn't spoken about it to her husband. It seems to be happening while he's going away. We don't know what the dynamics are there, but something needs to stop it. And and so often uh, we don't know what to do. We don't know what the solutions are. We don't know where to go. Uh, we don't know how to deal with those sorts of things when they're happening in our lives, But Hannah went to the house of the Lord. Hannah went to the house of the Lord. Great moms pray great prayers. for Samuel 1, 10 to 16, and I've just cut a chunk out of the middle of it just for time's sake. Uh, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. In those intervening verses, she promises to, if she has a child, dedicate that child to the Lord. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying, and in her heart, her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And as the story goes on, Eli, who was the priest in the temple at that time, is looking at her, and he he writes her off as a drunk and says she's just there mumbling. That wasn't a common thing in that time. Uh, So not only is she uh, going to the house of the Lord to pray, she's misunderstood by the priest who's who's there, who's sort of officiating over things. Um, And she uh, simply, though, continues and says continually year after year. Just as, uh, as the experience went on uh, with Penaniah, year after year, she continued to go to the house of the Lord and she continued to pray. She continued to pray. We have this picture of this woman who had every reason to be angry and vengeful. And she went and found herself in a temple and knelt before the sovereignty of God. What a rich uh, relationship with the Lord developed out of that meekness. We don't really know uh, what happened in those prayer times. We know that there was a, an encounter with Eli where he finally understands, OK, you're, you're not some drunk woman in the temple court. Uh, you, you're praying. She actually stands up. She sort of fights for herself and says, don't misunderstand me. Don't mistake me for a drunken woman. I am praying out of my anguish and my grief. And he says, I just, I just want to bless you. I, I will pray that the Lord will answer your prayers. And it says this, it says, at the end of this prayer time, may your servant find favor in your eyes. She's talking to the Lord there. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast don't know what that worked like, how that happened, but somehow in taking her grief, taking her pain to the Lord, taking her fear to the Lord, uh, all of it, she somehow has something happen in her heart, a, a switch is turned, something shifts inside of her, all of a sudden she wants to eat, the depression is broken. and all of a sudden her face is no longer downcast. That sounds a lot to me like what we see in Philippians 4:7. In every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right? There's something about taking our griefs, taking our pain, uh, to the lord and so that's just an encouragement uh, to to the women in our church uh, and whatever your struggle whatever your struggle with uh, life is whatever your struggle with comparison whatever your uh, struggle with grief is in your journey of parenting uh, whatever you're wrestling within it there is a god who hears you there is a god who knows you what we see in hannah her having such a powerful and prominent place in the scriptures is that god has put her in his living words so that you know that you are not alone and you know that you have a God who hears your prayer you have a God who will answer you who you have a God who will speak to you you have a God who cares you're you're simply not alone he hears you he knows you when you come like Hannah did with her quiet mumblings under her breath uh, speaking and crying out to the Lord And ultimately, God actually answered Hannah's prayer. And we know this isn't the case for everyone. We know that that there are moms who endure journeys uh, of grief, and they don't have the kind of miraculous resolution that Hannah did. Ultimately, she had a son. She named him Samuel, uh, ultimately gave him to the Lord. We'll continue with this story in a moment. She had three other boys and two other girls. Uh, So she had this incredible gift of children that came into her life. And, uh, and and, and her, her life turned in terms of the practical circumstances, but whether or not your life turns in terms of the practical circumstances in the here and now, whether the child that you've lost or you're estranged from comes home, uh, know that God sees, he hears, he answers, and somehow in his sovereignty and in his power, you are going to have a moment looking back at your life, maybe on the other side of heaven. On the other side of death, you'll look back and you'll know somehow in that moment that God loves you, that he is good, that he works things for you, that he cares for you, that he loves you. Promise from the Lord that you'll be answered in the same way that Hannah was, though maybe not necessarily. We can't promise that answer will come uh, on this earth. But the answer, the beginning of the answer, wherever you're at in that journey is to... Simply as Hannah did, continually time after time, enter into the house of the Lord and find your knees and know that he will hear you. Know that he will hear you. And then beyond that, beyond that wrestling through the pain and and coming to a place of prayer where you can deal with the griefs that you're wrestling with, with the struggle, with comparison, with all of it, uh, Hannah was just simply faithful. She was simply faithful. Uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 1, 21 to 23, it says this, when her husband, husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord, Samuel was born at this point. He went to fulfill his vow. He was going to uh, join Hannah and give uh, Samuel uh, to the priests as a, as, as a gift, as somebody who would serve alongside them and serve the community. They were dedicating their child to the Lord. And, and Hannah says, no, no, not, not yet. Uh, she did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And then later when we see Samuel in the story, he's he's an older boy. He's walking and talking and serving in the temple. She is coming by the temple, it uh, seems like year after year, and bringing uh, an, an ephod and bringing clothes for him and bringing supplies for him. Uh, so, so, in my mind, I'm thinking. So, so what happened here? When did, when did Samuel actually go to the temple? And and what it did is it, it caused me to just look a little bit into sort of Hebrew uh, child rearing practices to understand what was going on. And what we see in the in the language, and we see in the practices and the cultural practices of the day, is that word weaned uh, for us it means that transition uh, from uh, from nursing to solid food that happens somewhere between you know. Uh, a year to 18 months to two years, whatever it is in our culture, however moms go with that. But in the Hebrew culture, that was a process that wasn't just about uh, the um, transition to solid food. It was about spiritual nurture and learning and language and speech and skills. And that weaning was something that actually happened in the life of a Hebrew child, somewhere between the ages of six and eight years old. So Hannah said, I want to hold on to this child. I want to just faithfully nurture this life. I want to faithfully uh, teach him and faithfully care for him. And we see a little, just a little reflection of that in, in 2 Timothy, in the life of Timothy. Way ahead in the New Testament, we see this sort of little cultural piece come through, this, this description of Timothy's childhood. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says... Paul speaking to Timothy and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. His key influencers in the life of Timothy and the foundation of this great pastor in the ancient church's ministry was his uh, grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Somehow they taught him. Uh, Paul refers to it again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 to 15. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And again, in the context, Paul's referring to Lois and, and Eunice. There's something in that in that Hebrew mindset of, of child rearing that, that some of that spiritual development of the child, some of that teaching. Uh, happens through that relationship with the mother, that that there's something that's imparted to the child that that is important. And and for um, our hero, for Hannah in the story, it was important for her to do that, to be faithful, to get that opportunity for her son, and to deliver that to her. How many of you kids just love that teaching, nurture from your mom? I think it's great most of the time. Uh, some sometimes it seems like a wrestle, right? But but she was diligent. She was faithful to do it. And then finally, when she hands her child off and dedicates him to the Lord, she comes with a, with a young bull uh, to offer. She comes with flour. She comes with grain. She's coming yearly with children. That there are very very practical things that are involved in the mothering journey that we see in Hannah's story that she just faithfully is committed to do and faithfully committed to. Do. Deliver. Great moms get things done. Great moms uh, love in in very, very practical ways. Uh, Great moms show great faithfulness. So there's this call uh, to faithfulness in this story. And then um, when it's finally time to hand Samuel over to to dedicate him to the Lord to fulfill her promise this person that she is invested in that she's crafted uh, for ministry assuming she's understood the dynamics in the temple and how things go she's been teaching him she's been preparing him she's weaned him she's prepared him to be not dependent on her and able to go out and to function in the world in that way and it says she said to Eli pardon me Lord as surely as you live I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And there's something in this story that, uh, that is, is between the lines and in the verses that follow in chapter 2 uh, that we see. And, and I think Hannah has to have known this. Um, Eli, this priest that she was handing her child to, um, had two sons. And his sons were real pieces of work. Uh, His sons were were not good sons. His sons were sleeping with the women uh, outside the temple. His sons were messing with the offerings. They were they were brutal, craven, broken. People And somehow Hannah has taken this child that she's nurtured, that she's cared for, that she's poured her life into, that she's invested in, that she has brought to maturity, that has been a miracle to her. And here she has to walk to the temple and take this child and hand it over into the system. How many moms feel like that, sending your kids off to school, sending your kids off to university, maybe their first time in daycare? feels like you're handing your child off. Uh, my friend uh, Jim Cantillon said this at his, uh, at his daughter's wedding about my friend Rob. Um, and he, he's giving his daughter to this, this man in marriage. And he's like, I feel like I'm handing a Stradivarius to a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's it, it, like, how do you take this thing that you've nurtured and loved so closely? Well, for Hannah to do it, to hand her child into the hands of Eli, into this sort of broken father who hadn't led his own children well, and all of a sudden pass uh, to him her precious child. She had to have great faith. And what we see in the story, right in the text, so now I will give him not to Eli, oh, no, 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 not to Eli, but to the Lord. For now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And this, I think, is actually the most poignant part of the whole story. For our women, for our moms, the journey is absolutely, from beginning to end, from a conception to the handoff, is absolutely about a trust in the sovereignty of God. A trust in the power of the Lord. A trust in God, that he is the one who leads us, he is the one who's gonna care for our children, he is the one who's gonna hold them, he is the one to whom we're dedicating them to. The call for our women to know and understand, and for men as well, obviously, that we are under the power of a sovereign God who loves us and who loves our kids. We see this all reflected in the, this poem. There's this, Hannah is given this role of, of writing this, this beautiful prophetic poem in the scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 1, or sorry, in chapter 2. I can't go through the whole poem, but, it, but it's actually quite beautiful. But for time's sake, it just has four beautiful movements. One, Hannah is just worshiping the Lord. In the first part of it, she celebrates his goodness. She celebrates his glory. Her heart just simply responds to him. Uh, My heart rejoices in the Lord. She responds to him in worship. Uh, The second part is uh, this, this acknowledgement that the Lord opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The Lord opposes the proud. The Lord sees, the Lord knows, even though you see injustice, even though you see bad things happening all around you, even though you see uh, people who might uh, offer mockery or or offer challenge, or people who might uh, be trying to force you to compare. Uh, Hannah says, oh no, the sovereign Lord ultimately opposes the proud. Again, she places her trust in the sovereignty of God. Uh, The third movement is, though the wickedness of humanity can triumph for a while, the sovereign Lord will ultimately be the judge. Again, she points herself to the sovereignty of God. And then the fourth thing that's woven beautifully through the poem is something that is a messianic prophecy, and that's what you, have on your screen the Lord brings death and makes alive he brings down to the grave and raises up he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed and that is has been seen uh, by Jewish scholars for thousands of years as something that is pointing to the coming of Messiah and we know who Messiah is he has come his name is Jesus And here we have Hannah, this beautiful woman who's endured suffering, who's taken it to the Lord uh, in prayer, who has been faithful, who has faithfully entrusted this life uh, to, not to her priests, not to the system, not to the education board, uh, but to the Lord. And ultimately, she sees the sovereignty of God, and ultimately, she finds herself from thousands of years before his time looking at Jesus, trusting in Jesus, though she did not know his name. And that's the great hope for all of us, that God, uh, whatever you're suffering through, God will meet you with his power. God will meet you With his goodness, God will meet you with his justice. God will meet you with his love. Moms, women in our church, you can be confident that there will be a moment for you when you will see, when you'll understand, when you'll know that your father sees you and loves you and cares for you, that he has you. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.